Thank you, Lord. Well, as I said before, in fact, just before we say anything else, could you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? As I said before, today is Pentecost Sunday, but I believe every Sunday should be kind of like Pentecost Sunday, don't you? This is the day we remember the the beginning of, really the beginning of the church. Uh, Jesus told us that he would build his church on the revelation of who he was, that he, he left his spirit and he left his anointing with his disciples. But really the church didn't begin until the day of Pentecost. Uh, up until then, Jesus spent, you know, after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with the, with the disciples and, and the, the, the people that had gathered there. And then when he ascended, he said, I want you to wait for me in Jerusalem. The funny thing is, he knew what day the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, right? Because it was the day of Pentecost. It was an important day. He knew what day, but he didn't tell them. He just told them, wait until I come. Wait until the Spirit comes. He said, and you will be clothed with power from on high. In fact, if I, I'm skipping around a little bit, but in Acts 1, he said, and you know this, there's the Great Commission, part of the Great Commission, and then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from on high. I love that. How many times through your daily life have you felt like you were clothed with power? You know what I mean? Like we felt at different times like we got a little bit of power. We felt like maybe you got a jolt. Maybe you got a boost. But when's the last time you felt, I am clothed with power right now? Maybe you feel like you're just too humble to say that. Well, you would if it was your power, then, you, then you'd be a little bit too arrogant. But we're talking about his power. Have you felt, have you ever experienced that where you are clothed with it? Or you feel like, oh, man, I, I know that without him I can do nothing. But right now I, I am full of the spirit. I feel like I could do anything. Have you ever felt that way? If you haven't, I know you can. Because you're as much a believer I mean, you have the same rights as any believer has ever had if you, because Jesus makes us all equal here. He puts us on that, that, that firm foundation of who he is and his sacrifice for you that when you got born again, there were certain rights, there were certain uh, things that he gave to you as your inheritance as sons and daughters. And one of the things that he promised to his children and for your children is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, when you got born again, the Holy Spirit was involved in that. Did you know that? Whether or not you knew it or not, you can't. The Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't mean just Jesus is Lord like a parrot. You know, Jesus is Lord. Anybody could say that. But he means truly to confess him as Lord only could happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So even if you've never felt like you were baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a part of your life. But maybe you've just been kind of keeping it in the corner there. But the Holy Spirit desires, God desires you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like I said earlier, the Greek word for baptized means to immerse, to dunk. You might have grown up in a church that, that uh, sprinkled for baptism, but that is not scriptural. The scriptural baptism was a complete immersion so that, I mean, you didn't leave one hand out of the water and said, with this hand, I'll do whatever I want. 
you were completely immersed in his death and you were completely brought out in his resurrection. And there was not a part of your flesh, there was not a part of your old self that remained alive, but you were crucified with Christ. So you were baptized. The Bible says we were baptized in his death and we were raised in his resurrection. And so in the same sense, when it says to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is not a partial, uh, um, a partial touch of the Holy Spirit. You hear people say that, I got a touch from God today. Well, that's wonderful. I imagine just a touch from God could knock you over. But I want to be fully immersed in the Spirit of God, in the fire of God. There have been times in my life, and I'm sure you could say the same thing if you've been born again for any period of time. There have been times in my life where my love has grown cold, where my boldness has waned. And I've known it was a result of a lack of the spirit in my life. Not that God was withholding his spirit, but that I hadn't left time. I hadn't, I hadn't spent time in the Holy Spirit. I hadn't been praying in the spirit. There were things I left out of my life. And I don't like that feeling at all. I personally, and you may not believe this about me, but know this, and my wife can attest to this, I am in my own nature without God, I'm very much an introvert. I'm a very much one of those people that would rather stay home. I'd just rather stay home and not meet new people if I never had to meet a new person again in my own self, realize. Without God, if I never had to meet another new person or I just kind of slowly met them, I'd be fine with that. I'm not one of those people who likes to introduce myself to other people, shake hands with other I mean, I like to shake hands with you. I love you. And oh my goodness, if you're a new person today, know this, I'm different now. <laughs> I, could just, I could just imagine people going, oh, wow, I'll leave him alone. <laughs> no, no, I want to meet you. If you're new here today, welcome. We love you. And I can't wait to meet you. In fact, would you stick around? But naturally, without God, I was, very, I was a shy person. And I've noticed in times in my life when I've let that, let, let, I've, I've gotten more in my head and out of the spirit that I've gotten more uh, self-conscious and more timid and the boldness goes away and the, and the, the feeling of I, I can do all things through Christ goes away and the love goes, it shrinks down because love is a fruit of the spirit. Long-suffering and patience are fruits of the Spirit. And so I've noticed when you let the love of God grow cold, when you let the Spirit kind of wane in your life, that you're not as patient with people. You're irritable. You're, you're quick to anger, quick to be offended. But that doesn't have to be your life. He desires you to be filled. So let's read about that first infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Jesus did not tell them how long they were to wait. He just told them, wait in Jerusalem for me. Didn't say how long that was going to take, just told them. Now, there's a very good reason why it happened when it happened. You may not know this, but the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover, and the one, the, one of the things that was most remembered on the day of Pentecost was that was the day that Moses gave the Ten Commandments. The presentation of the law was on the Pente day of Pentecost. Does anybody remember what happened when he came down the mountain, happily roaming down the mountain with Ten Commandments? He came back to find that the Israelites got a little worried that Mo wasn't around. 
got a little worried. And don't start calling my kid Mo. They got, got a little worried <laughs> that, that they couldn't see God, that God might be up on that mountain. So let's make a God we could see. And they made a golden calf, which was one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And they made a calf and began to worship it. And even Aaron, the high priest, helped them do it. Now, you'll remember that, that gold was the gold that God told them to collect. And it was for the building of his tabernacle. And they gave it to an idol. And Moses came down. And you remember, Moses starts to come down the mountain. He's with Joshua. And he says, is there a war down there? There's sounds of war. And then, and then no, it's the sounds of singing. Are they having a party without me? And he goes down, and it's not like Moses just didn't like to be the guy who was left out and not invited to a party, but he realized that this was not a good party. In fact, they didn't just make an idol. They went to the ways of the idolaters. They went to and did the same things that the idolatrous nations did and really did some disgusting, terrible things like the other nations. Moses comes down, and he's so furious, he smashes the Ten Commandments. Now, you'll remember that the first time Moses got the Ten Commandments, God carved it into the stone. The second time, he made Moses do it. <laughs> That'll learn you. <laughs> I think this is a good lesson for all your kids, you know? First time, we'll pay for it. Second time, you bought it. Moses was so angry, but you know, uh, now remember this is the old covenant. There was no, Jesus had not paid the price for their sins. There was some serious punishment for things like this. And the Israelites were given a choice, and they chose the wrong thing. Life and death were put in front of them, they chose death. 3,000 of them died that day because of their sin. Fast forward to the day of Pentecost, the same day, centuries later, 3,000 of them are born again. And the scripture says, for the law kills, but the spirit gives life. 3,000 people died that first Pentecost. 3,000 people got new life on that Pentecost years and years, hundreds of years later. What a wonderful and amazing thing that God did. God didn't forget in fact, God knew the day way back in Moses' day, God looked forward to that day. And he, he told them through Jesus, he said, wait for me, wait for me in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Which means, if they might have said, well, how will we know? You'll know when you're clothed with power. You'll know. Believe me, you'll know. So they stayed in Jerusalem, and they found, they rented this place in the upper room, and they stayed there, and they prayed there, and they ate there, and they slept there. You better believe if Jesus told you to wait for something, you don't go somewhere else. It doesn't matter whether, I mean, these guys had jobs. Jesus did not tell them whether it was going to be 10 days or 100 days. He just told them to wait. So I'm sure they just said, I don't know when we're going to be back. But we're going to wait. And they did. In Acts chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come. The word Pentecost just means 50 days, basically. It just means that it's signifying that it was 50 days from Passover. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise 
like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I want to tell you, this doesn't say there was a, a mighty rushing wind. It says there was a noise like one. If you ever had, I mean, come on, we live in Lloydminster. We've had some crazy winds here, haven't we? You ever had one of those just crazy windstorms out there and you heard it and you were thinking like the house is going to fall down? This is what they're hearing in the building. I don't know if anybody's seen the, the documentary Transformations, yes. the second one. If you'll recall, there was some Inuit people in our Canadian Arctic that were praying together and seeking God in a church service. And all of a the sudden, there came this sound like a train was running through the building. And, and you know, it was like, whoa. Well, if any of us born in the ch this, this century know that, that in a church, when you hear a sound like that, everybody looks at the sound guy. What are you doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> right? What is the sound guy doing wrong? And so here's what they did. Now, my dad knew some of these people. When we watched the documentary, he said, I stayed at that lady's house. And so we thought that was cool. But what these people did was they rushed to the sound system and they turned everything on. But the sound kept going. So they unplugged everything, but the sound kept going. And here's the freaky thing. Everything was unplugged, but the recorder kept recording. It had no battery. It operated by being plugged in, but it kept recording. Why did it keep recording? Because God wanted a record. So on this documentary, you hear this sound, and you hear people all of a sudden start to scream, fire, fire. But it's not like, let's run out of here, fire. It's like it's a wonderful thing. And I imagine it was similar on this day of Pentecost as the building begins to shake and the sound like a mighty rushing wind comes through and it fills the house that they're sitting. In verse three, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. It doesn't say they were tongues of fire, but it says they were tongues like, that was the best way they could describe it was like flames on people's heads, like flames over top of people distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Now, I, we've always pictured it on the head, but there's nothing here that says it rested on their head. It could have been all over their whole body. All they knew was it looks like we're on fire. Now, I want you to put yourself, because sometimes we are so religious that we read these stories so many times that they become this weird little Disney movie in our heads. But these are real people, really, with a plenty of opportunity to be freaked out. Show of hands, who's ever been freaked out in church? I have. Some of you are just stone cold, and you're just tough, and you're like, nothing freaks me out. I've been freaked out in church. I've seen things I go, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> what's going on here? I remember one time, there was such a move of God. My dad, as you know, my dad was not a crying man. But the only time I ever saw him weep was when in the presence of God, I'd see tears going down his face. But there was one time, and we had a guest speaker, and I don't quite remember exactly what, what happened, but I remember such a move of the Holy Spirit that my dad could not speak for hours. And I remember thinking, what's going on? <laughs> my sister used to go to a church in Arkansas. Their pastor there, and that was before they went to this church, but their pastor there was in a meeting where he was in the front preaching. So I'm, I'm telling you this so I, that you know there's only a couple degrees of separation. This isn't like a, an urban, Christian urban legend. These are people we know. And 
This man was preaching, and the presence of God got so strong that he was over here in the front on the floor, and he was catapulted back onto the stage on his back. And he laid there like a dead man for hours. And when he got up, he was fine. It wasn't like he hurt. It was just the presence of God was so strong. Now, you tell me. That's not going to freak you out. A little bit. A little bit. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable every now and then. You know me. I know you. Most of you are very reasonable, logical people. And we like to understand things. I've got books and books and books that, that I read to help me understand certain things about God, to help me understand things about the Spirit. But you need to be a little comfortable with the fact that there are going to be times where you won't know why it's happening. You won't get it. It will seem weird and strange. And you need to resist the thought that because I don't understand it, I'm going to run from it. How would you have felt if, G if you were there when Jesus spits in the dirt and rubs mud in a blind man's eye? That's not a real nice thing to do to the, to the handicapped. It's not a real nice thing to rub it in people's eyes, physically disabled, visually impaired, whatever I'm supposed to say. It's not a nice thing to rub mud in their eye, mud that was made from your spit. The disciples had to learn, we don't always know what to expect around Jesus. Now, the Bible says that God is a God of order. So I've had friends that said to me, but wait a second, isn't God a God of order? He's not the author of confusion. Well, that's absolutely right. But I want to ask you something. If I could snap my fingers right now, I can. <laughs> but if I could snap my fingers and you were transported to the middle of a football field in a CFL game. Now, the coach had drawn up a play. Have you ever seen a football play? Yes. They've got people, you're going to run here, you're going to run there. It's not like back in elementary school, we always just run straight forward. <laughs> there's people doing button hooks, there's people blocking, there's people doing all sorts of things. Now, if I put you right in the middle of the field, it would seem like chaos. You wouldn't know what was going on. But if you're the coach that drew up that play, everyone's going where they're supposed to go. Now, it may be confusing for you because you're not the guy that drew up the play. But to the coach, it makes sense. It's all working together to a plan. And so, you know, sometimes you get dropped in a service. Maybe you came to a church service where something was weird to you. I've been there. I identify with you. But I've learned to trust God. And I've learned that there are times, there are flaky people. There's flaky churches. I've been in meetings where there was just weird stuff going on, and you knew it wasn't God. It didn't rest in your spirit well. And, and, you know, you've got to know the difference between you being a little freaked out and, and something not sitting right in your spirit. It's tough to learn the difference at first, isn't it? There were some times I thought at first, oh, this can't be God because I'd never seen it before. And I, I was corrected. And I had, to, I had to apologize and repent because it was God. But there, there are so many times where we could be freaked out. I'm sure they were too. They heard a sound like a mighty wind, not outside, but inside the building, filling the building, which means there's nobody who can't hear this ringing in their ears. And then they see their friends on fire, literally on fire. And they don't know, hey, I am too. They just see it on other people. Can you imagine what it might have looked like? Everybody's pointing at each other. No, 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 seriously, stop, drop, and roll. This isn't good. <laughs> Verse 4, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That means that the Spirit was the one putting that force in them to say something. They didn't have to make it up. It was God. Now, here's the thing. I want you to notice this, and if I were to call, if I, I mean, I'm not one of those people that really comes up with titles ahead of the service, but if I were, it would be, and they were all filled. I want you to notice that. 120 in the room. Nobody left out. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they all began to speak in tongues. Now, maybe somebody taught you in your church life that not everybody speaks in tongues. There is a scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 that says not all speak in a tongue. But if you keep reading, if you chop the scripture up, it gets confusing. But if you read the whole thing, it makes sense, right? If you keep reading through 12, 13, and 14, you find out that in a church service, there is something called the gift of tongues in interpretation. In a church service, if somebody gets up and starts speaking in another tongue, in a microphone, to the church, as if it's a message, and then does not interpret, it's done us no good. And not everybody in the church is going to do that. That's just like prophecy. It doesn't happen all the time. Doesn't happen. Not everybody gets up, but God chooses, and he puts that in different people at different times. But it says, the Bible says it's the same spirit working through all. There's a difference between that and praying in tongues. There's a difference between that and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want you to notice that if we were to apply that old logic to this scenario, there would have been maybe 10 people speaking in other tongues out of 120. But that's not what happens. Out of 120, 120 are filled. And 120 begin to speak in other tongues. It says they were all filled. Did God leave anybody out? No, everybody that showed up got filled. That's often the criteria. You're a believer, you show up, all right. The other thing is they were hungry. There were other people invited to this little party, weren't there? But 120 wanted it enough to be there. Verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and rep- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. You might have heard somebody tell you, well, they all were speaking in these, this, the gift that they had was just to speak in another another earthly language. So some were speaking in Greek, some were speaking. But can I ask you a question? If 120 people got up on this stage and started yelling in the same language, would you understand any of it? Maybe a little bit, right? Now mix that up with all these languages we just heard. Did you hear three languages? Did you hear four? We heard like a ton, didn't we? Let's read them all. Because this is a, this is before, you know, in, in um, 
These days, there are a lot of these languages, people, some languages have died, some have picked up English or French as, as, a, a, as a, a colonial lingua franca that they can learn and all speak to each other. But listen here, it says they're hearing it in their mother tongue. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. That's a whole bunch of languages. Because it doesn't say they're all, some, some of them spoke Greek, some of them spoke Latin. It says they all heard them in their mother tongues. And notice the Bible doesn't say that they were all speaking in these languages. It doesn't. It says they were speaking in tongues and they heard them. Each one of them said, we, each one of us hears them. In other words, the group speaking in our language. How is this? The great miracle was that we were each hearing in our own language. You see, what, the, what God did there was interpret it for them, and as they heard, they heard it in their own language, even though these people were not speaking in their language. Many of you know the story, and we've told it before, of how when Dad and I were in the year 2000 in a place called Mapang in the jungles of Mindanao, there, there was a lady who could not speak a word of English, could not could not communicate. We tried. Couldn't even say hello. Didn't speak a touch of our English. And yet we were in another room. We were in an upper room resting. And she was leading a prayer meeting. She, was a, she wasn't the pastor. She was just a humble uh, um, just lady who helped clean the church. And she was a powerful prayer. And she was praying in her own language. And then she switched and began to pray in tongues. And as she began to pray in tongues, it sounded like tongues at first, and then we could hear clearly, Dad heard clearly in perfect English, not accented English, but perfect, well, I guess our English isn't perfect, but he heard it in his English. Oh, Canadian, come help us. Much like Paul saw the man in Macedonia come to him in a dream and say, come help us in Macedonia. What we saw there was God using someone speaking in another tongue, and he translated it for somebody else's ears. So on the day of Pentecost, 120 people speaking in another tongue are all heard clearly and distinctly in all of these different languages. The miracle was not just in the speaking, but in the hearing. What were they speaking of? The mighty deeds of God. Verse 12 and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, this is important. The group we were talking about before were described as devout. Men who feared God. And then we find the others. Because not everybody in Jerusalem at the time feared the Lord. There's others and while the devout men and women who were gathered heard this in their own language, there were others who didn't. And what did they say? They said, they're drunk, they're full of wine. Now remember, this is early in the day. It's really wacky for somebody to be drunk at this time of day, especially a bunch of followers of Jesus. <laughs> Now, when someone speaks to you in your mother language, anybody here say your first language is not English? 
your first language is another. Okay, there's quite a few in the, in the, in the room today. So when someone speaks to you in your language, do you go, you're drunk? <laughs> like if Brent started talking to you in your mother tongue, he must be drunk. He's all of a sudden speaking my language. That doesn't make sense, does it? But if Brent started babbling like he was speaking in another language and I didn't understand it and I'm, he's kind of acting a little bit more excited than he should and a little more weird than he should, I might think he's drunk. So there's a group of thousands of people that are hearing it in their own language and then there's a group of people that are not devout and they begin to mock. And what I've experienced for how many amount of years growing up in churches and, and being in churches that were full of the spirit and sometimes things went a little bit differently where there were those that were hungry and said, I don't understand it, but I embrace it. And then there were mockers. There's always mockers. I'm ashamed to say I've been tempted to mock at times myself when I didn't understand. But I'm over that. I want to let God do what God does. Trust me, there's flaky people. But you don't let flaky people destroy the real thing. There's people out there with counterfeit money. You don't stop using real money. And the best way to know the counterfeit from the real is to get to know the real money. When you know what the real money looks like, you know the counterfeit. When you know what the real move of the Spirit looks like, you'll know the fakes. In every move of God, there are people attracted to the move of God that are, that are of a different spirit, that are there to get attention, that are there to, to, to just do weird things just for their own reasons. But you don't let that spoil it. You stay focused on God. Here's what he says, verse 14. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. For it's only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. He said, It's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. On who? All mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Can I tell you how radical this might seem to a, a, a culture that didn't, didn't give women the same uh, uh, place in their culture, that, that kind of treated them as second-class citizens when God himself says, not just your sons, but your daughters are going to prophesy. He put them up. He exalted them together and said, they're both going to have a place in this move of the Spirit. And you're both going to listen to what they, you're going to listen to what they both have to say. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Thank God. Nobody outgrows what God has. So nobody outgrows a dream coming from God. You know, some people say you're too old to dream. Dreams are for young people. And here he's saying, no, even your old people will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. And he says this, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now let me ask you something. When Peter said that, had the sky turned to blood? Mm -mm. 
When Peter said this, the sun, even though the sun had been turned dark when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't permanently dark. There were things, you know, it came back up again. (laughs) Blood, fire, vapor of smoke, they hadn't seen these things yet. In fact, we haven't seen these things yet. So when he says this is what's prophesied, he's saying this is the beginning. He says until the great notable day of the Lord, which means there's a period that we're living in right now between the day of Pentecost and the great notable day of the Lord. And it's called biblically the last days. And it is a set, it is a period of time. It's an age in the history of mankind where God will pour out his spirit in greater measure. It started on that day and it continues until we see the great notable day of the Lord. And unless you've walked out recently and saw blood, fire, and vapor of smoke outside your front door, we haven't got there yet. So don't say it's over. I've heard people say, well, doesn't the scripture say that someday tongues will pass away? That's in 1 Corinthians 13. If you read the whole thing, it says there will be a day when tongues cease, we won't need them anymore. When prophecy will cease, it says when we know as we've been known and the perfect becomes perfect. Has anybody here feel like you're perfect? Anybody figure that you know you know everything as well as God knows you? That day's still coming. That's that day when we get our new bodies. That's that day when we're forever with him. That's not here yet. I mean, unless you believe you're perfect and you know everything, you still need to be able to pray in tongues. Unless you're perfect and you know everything, we still need prophecy in the church. (laughs) When we get to heaven, we won't need prophecy because you'll know it. When you get to heaven, you won't need tongues because you won't have to battle that flesh anymore. You won't have to contend with your mind fighting the spirit. You'll just be speaking in the language of God and you'll be... Uh, submitted to the will of God, and these things won't be an issue anymore, but they are now. Verse 22 says this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And he goes on and he preaches a message of repentance repentance and salvation. And 3,000 people are born again that day and added to the church number. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. What I want to focus on is how many of the 120 were filled with the Spirit? 120. How many began to speak in other tongues? 120. And it was a promise for all of them and they all received. Well, we want to fast forward. I don't want you to read it because we want to, for the sake of time, I'll... I want you to write it down and read the story on your own. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter receives a message from God. He sees a vision of these dirty, stinky animals that were unclean and Jews weren't supposed to eat. And the Lord says to him, Peter, kill and eat these animals. He goes, I can't, Lord. You know I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus said, don't ever call unclean that which I have cleansed. And so Jesus sends him to a man named Cornelius, who's an Italian. And we know that God loves Italians too, right? 
<laughs> Jesus sends him to the house of Cornelius, and an angel has also appeared to Cornelius, saying, there's a man coming to your house. God set this up. Cornelius was a giver. He was a man who loved God, even though he donated to the temple, even though he wasn't allowed to go inside. What a man, huh? And so when Cornelius... He sees this vision. He's expecting Peter. And in fact, he sends a man to go get Peter. God tells Peter, be ready. Somebody's going to come get you. You're going to go to his house and you're going to preach the gospel. When Peter gets to Cornelius' house, Cornelius is there with a bunch of dirty Gentiles like us. A bunch of Italians and maybe some other races mixed in there. And they're in the house. And at this point, the church is full of Jewish people, but nobody else. But God says he's opening up the church to everyone. And so Peter gets to this man's house and he begins to preach the gospel and he's interrupted by a noise. He's interrupted by all of these people speaking in tongues. Not just a few, but all of them began speaking in tongues. And he didn't get to finish his salvation message. I, I didn't get to call... I didn't get to call Nathaniel to the organ and play the song and, and call you up and have an altar call. It just, you just got saved too early. You ever feel like that? <laughs> I tell, I, I've definitely experienced this where people are hearing what you have to say and you're preaching the gospel and they're so excited. They're like, yeah, yeah I believe. And you're like, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> you flip the page of your track. There's more left. We've only done three spiritual laws. But they believe, and there's faith there. Paul was preaching in a place called Lystra, and he was talking about the miracles that Jesus did. And he stopped in the middle of his sermon because there was a man on the front row who was lame from birth. And he looked at him and he said, this man has faith to be healed. So many of us would say, just let him wait till the end of the service. I've got to continue preaching on healing. If I don't continue to preach on healing, I can't stop in the middle of my sermon on healing to heal somebody. Got to wait till the end. But Paul is, is more mature than I, and he stops his message, and he says, you are ready to be healed. And he says, get up on your feet, and the man gets up on his feet. And so we've all experienced these times, or maybe you will sometime in your life, where somebody is so full of faith, they're so receiving, that they, they kind of get there ahead of you. The gun goes off while you're cleaning it. You know, it's a little bit early. Peter is preaching this message of salvation, and they begin to speak in tongues. And Peter goes to his friends and he says, I guess, they're, I guess they can get saved too. I guess they can receive the Spirit too. I guess it's for Gentiles too because look, the proof is here. They were all speaking. Skip ahead to Acts 19. In Acts 19, you don't have to turn it, I'll just tell you. But you write it down because I want you to read this story on your own too. In Acts 19, Paul encounters a group of 12 guys from Ephesus. And they've heard of Jesus, and they've believed in Jesus, but they've only been baptized in, in water in the baptism of repentance that was John's baptism. Nobody told them. And Paul says, has nobody told you about the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. We didn't even know there was one. He says, oh, this is going to be fun. And he tells them, and he lays his hands on them. And when he lays his hands on them, they are all filled, and they all begin to speak in tongues. Now, of the three instances of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, we have three, even though there was much more, right? 
Of the three that it goes ahead and points out, because you don't have the salvation prayer show up a hundred times in the book of Acts, sometimes they just assume you know what happens. Of the three times we see people filled with the Spirit, the first time, the day of Pentecost, 120. Now, I'm skipping Acts 8. Acts 8, it's also the same thing. Philip forgot to tell him about the Holy Spirit. And the apostles came down and taught them. But when these examples of we see people speaking in tongues, in, in Acts 2, 120, how many out of 120 spoke in tongues? 120, all right. When we find Cornelius and his buddies in Acts chapter 10, how many people in the house got filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues? All of them. When we find in Acts 19, the, the believers in Ephesus filled with the Holy Spirit, how many began to speak in tongues? All of them. Do you see a pattern in Scripture where some people just don't get it? I can't find it. In the church service, there's a time and a place, and not everybody gets up and begins to speak in tongues. But the gift of the Holy Spirit, being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of being able to speak in other tongues, is available to every believer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that there are times when we don't know how to pray. And when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays through us. And groaning's too deep for words. And the Spirit prays out the perfect will of God. I want to read you something in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, if chopped up, has been used for people that believe, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to speak in tongues in church. But when you read the whole chapter, it's, it's one of the most helpful books on how to know what the, what the gift of the Holy Spirit, how to know what the gift of, of tongues is all about. 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. I have to admit to you, many of us as believers have been so nervous around the supernatural that we don't desire what we should desire. We actually would rather have a church service that's calm and collected and, and organized and everything scheduled beforehand so we know what to expect. He says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Have you ever heard somebody tell you that tongues was just to communicate to people who speak other languages? I've heard people say that. Oh, it's just, it's just so you know, how, if you're in Africa and you don't speak their language, God can give you the ability to speak their language. But here, here's, God can do that. But the primary purpose of this, look, look at this, is not to speak to people, but to God. Now, is that a bad thing to speak to God? No. <laughs> one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Then he says this, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. Edification means to be built up and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What does edify mean? To build up. Now look at this. One who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Don't you think there's a time to be built up? But one who prophesies edifies the church. Do you see now why I don't pick up the microphone and for an hour speak in tongues on the stage? That would do you no good. It would it'd be edifying me. I'd be having a great time, but you wouldn't. That's why we don't do that. 
But some of you have seen, even in this church, the scriptural uh, usage of tongues and interpretation, where somebody did have a microphone, and they spoke in other tongues, and somebody took the microphone and interpreted it for the congregation. That's biblical. But now, when you're at home, are you there at home to edify the church? Is it your job to teach the church at that point? No, your job, well, depending on what's going on, but I could tell you a good thing to do at home is to build yourself up. The Bible says in the book of Jude, it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit. That's one of those ways to build yourself up. It says the man that prophesies edifies the church. That's why I'm speaking in English to you today, because if you don't understand it, it doesn't help you. Verse 5. It says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now, when he says wish, if you look at this word in the original language, it's not wish like we, when you wish upon a star. Like, I wish the whole world was full of ice cream. I wish, I wish that the rainbows were really made of Skittles. Like, it's not that kind of wishing. (laughs) This could better be translated, I want you all to speak in tongues. I will that you all speak in tongues. It's not wishes in something that's not happening. It's his desire. It's his will. He says this. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit's the one that's inspiring this this letter, right? So if Paul desires it, don't you think God desires it? He says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you'd prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. At this point, he's talking about a church service. He's talking about a church service. In a church service, it's more important that the body gets something to build them up than one person praying who's only building themselves up. Right? This isn't talking about what you're doing at home. It's just talking about what you're doing in the church. He says this, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will will it profit you unless I speak to you in either by way of revelation or of knowledge or prophecy of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp and producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what's played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? In other words, if you don't understand what I'm saying, we won't be on the same page. Some of you say, I'm not on that same page anyways. (laughs) Well, get on the page. Verse 9. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that's clear... How will it be known what's spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If, I, if, I, if then I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks like a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound in the edification of the church. The Corinthian church was so excited about speaking in other tongues that they get up and Talk to the church in other tongues for way too long. <laughs> and somebody else would get up and they'd do the same thing. And the church would just have to sit there looking at them like, okay, right. When's this going to be over? Well, they're having a good time. But I'm really not. You ever felt that way? Sister so-and-so's having a great time. Her and Jesus. Look at that. Mr. Mr. Man over there is just, just loving this, but I'm getting nothing out of this. Can you imagine being in the Corinthian church? The Bible says, he says in this letter that they were so abounding in spiritual gifts. But they got a little bit zealous about it. And they just started like, get up and speak in tongues to everybody. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But I don't know how to apply that to my life. Did you say I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia? Is that what you said? (laughs) 
What did you just say? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyways, he says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Did you know that's a very good thing? It's a very good thing because there are times when you don't know how to pray. It's good for your brain to be able to shut up. Have you ever felt in certain times like, like your thoughts were your worst enemy? Like you were battling, maybe you were battling depression or fear. And those thoughts just kept hitting you and hitting you and hitting you. And even when you tried to pray, you felt like you were praying in fear. Can I tell you, if you begin to pray in other tongues... Your spirit begins to pray the will of God, and your mind finally shuts up. And boy, is that a blessing sometimes. He says this in verse 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind. You see, he says both are good. And I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with a mind. You might have heard somebody say, well, you know, you can't control when you're going to speak in other tongues. It just comes out of you when God forces it out of you. But here he says, I will, which means your will is involved. If there wasn't, he wouldn't have to tell them to shut up at certain times. Did you notice he doesn't say to you, you're not speaking in tongues. You're just babbling. He doesn't say that. He says you are, but nobody's understanding it. He didn't say, you guys are wasting your breath. He says, your spirit is speaking to God. He doesn't tell them they're not speaking in tongues. He just says, you're doing it at the wrong time and in the wrong way. He says, I will uh, pray with the spirit. I will pray with the mind. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the mind. If you've never sung in the spirit, you're missing out. It's a beautiful thing. Look at this. He says this. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at the giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough. Did you know when you're praying in other tongues, you're actually giving thanks? He says you are. But the other person's not edified. Now this is why when you come to a prayer meeting here at this church, you might hear people on the sides praying in other tongues to themselves and to God. But when they grab that microphone to lead people in prayer, We have instructed them to pray in English so that other people can say amen to it. It's okay. Now, I've heard people say, oh, we shouldn't pray in tongues in the church at all. Can I tell you, your face isn't going to melt off if you hear it. You know, it's not going to hurt you. Oh, God, pastor, I don't know what to do. Somebody was behind me and they were praying in tongues. And I'm so traumatized because I didn't understand what they were saying. Get used to it. You live in Canada. Maybe you weren't supposed to eavesdrop on their prayer. But when they get up in front of the church and say something, you need to understand what they're saying. So if somebody gets up in front of this church and begins to speak in another tongue, somebody's got to follow them and interpret it for the rest of the church. That's what the Bible teaches us. And he says this, However, I thank God, listen to this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, his job is to teach the church, and you can't teach the church if they can't understand you. So when I get, when I get in front of a church, he says, I, I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, this is a spiritual guy, isn't it? He's saying, I, 
Now, you notice he's saying there's, there's church and then there's away from church. Away from church, he speaks in tongues. He says this confidently, more than any of you I speak in tongues. But when I'm in church, I speak to you in your language so you can understand it. Now, you can go back on our church podcasts and you won't find one sermon that I've ever preached in tongues because it would do nobody any good if we preach in English. When, I mean, up to only a couple years ago, uh, I would preach with an interpreter in Loon Lake. Often when there'd be elders from the reserve come, I'd have a Cree interpreter interpret for me uh, until some of those elders started to go on, be with the Lord, and the young ones all speak English, so we don't have to do that anymore. But we would speak in two languages so that everybody there would understand. But everybody here speaks English, right? So we speak in English. But when you're at home or when you're in a prayer meeting and you're not praying for everybody else, you're just between you and God, I want you to know that this is a gift for all of you. I want you to, and we're going to close with this thought here. I want you to consider, I believe that God's got some things to do at the end of the service here. In fact, I believe that if there's anyone here that while we've been talking about this, you say, I've never, I've never had that gift. I've never been able to. I want you to see in the scripture that there is not one instance where there's a group of people and there's some that are left out. It was for everybody. 120 out of 120. Everybody in Cornelius' house. Everybody, all, all 12 of those disciples in Ephesus. Don't think that you're the one person that God said not for you. Now, not everybody is supposed to speak in a service in tongues. Like speak with a microphone, give a gift of tongues at all times. Do you know if God wants to use you for that, that way? I don't believe any of these gifts are the things that he says, this is who you are for the rest of your life. He says it's the same spirit that works everything. So if somebody got up here and prophesied in another tongue and somebody interpreted, you've got the same Holy Spirit in you. And God may use you to do that someday. But right now I want to talk about that, just being able to speak in another language. And I want to tell you why. First of all, forget speaking in tongues for a moment. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now you say, I, I, I'm, I'm saved. I, I have the Holy Spirit in me. I agree with you. But let me tell you what happened. When Jesus met with his disciples, he breathed into them. And he said, receive my spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, they were filled and clothed. In Acts chapter 4, only a few days, weeks later, they're threatened and they're beat up. What happens? They begin to pray together. And it says the place where they were praying was shaken. It must have felt a little bit like it did on that day of Pentecost. The place began to shake again, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you? Sometimes you got to get refilled. This isn't all about other tongues. I believe it's a powerful weapon in your prayer arsenal. I believe that every believer should be able to pray in other tongues because there's times when you don't know, as Romans 8 says, when you don't know how to pray and the Spirit prays through you in groanings too deep for words. But I also believe every one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit in a fire. If you've been timid, remember Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses after what? After you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you know witnessing is one of the hardest things in the world without the Holy Spirit? 
It's hard. It's not fun. But you look at somebody who's freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, they can't stop telling people about Jesus. Right, Josh? Can't stop it. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've never had good success with a parent twisting their kid's ear and saying, go, you need that. It's like, I mean, it's, it's like trying to try to feed a newborn a milkshake. It just doesn't work real well. It's hard. But what I have found is that when people want it, when they're hungry for it, Jesus said, nobody asks their father for a, a fish and gets a serpent, asks for bread and gets a stone. He said, in the same way, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father's not going to say no. He's a good Father. Guys, if you want it, He wants to give it to you. I preached a a conference in Spokane, Washington, before I even met my wife, Tia. And uh, there was many youth groups at this conference, and one youth leader came, and he had never received the gift of the Spirit. And... uh, but he wanted it. So I went in the back with him and prayed with him. Before I was even done, he began, it just, he began to speak in other tongues. Before I was even done. And he said, is it normal to feel hot and cold at the same time? And I said, you need to kiss your idea of normal goodbye. <laughs> Natalie got filled, Natalie Olson, some of you, many of you know her. She got filled with the Holy Spirit right here on this chair. She'd been working with me at Verses. And uh, we had a minister's conference. She came to the minister's conference. And if, if you've been to some of those minister's conferences, some of those ministers can be way out there, man, way out there. Like, whoo, if you're, if you're uncomfortable with a little bit of the Spirit, you, you're just going to be really freaked out here. And so, but she was hungry. So instead of being freaked out, she said, I want that. So we came and prayed for her. Tracy Harris laid, her, laid his hands on her. And, and, and it was like, she said, you know, is, is it normal to want to laugh and cry at the same time? I said the same thing. Forget normal. Life will never be normal again. As Josh says, he said, welcome to the world of weird. You know, get used to it. <laughs> the Bible says in the book of Acts, after they were filled with the Spirit, that they were continually filled with a sense of awe. Which means, and I said this a few weeks ago, but it means that they were freaked out all the time in a good way. That they were saying, I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I love it. I love it. Praise God. It's a promise for you. And God will not withhold it. So if you have been moved by the Spirit today, I'm going to tell you there are things probably that you did not understand, and that's okay. But if you've been moved by the Spirit of God and you say, I want it, I want it. This is not about denomination, guys. There is no such thing as a spirit-filled denomination and a non-spirit. There are some that teach it and there's some that don't. But I've seen churches that believed in it and have no evidence of it. And I've, had, I've seen churches that don't know what they're doing, but the evidence is there. This is about believers. It's about believers that are hungry for God.